can we uh, do something about the fern here? But there's so yeah. much tension that yeah. typically happens, even at the highest levels in these large corporations, there's such a, a, a tension between those two groups many times. I think you and I could really fight about this. So I, I kind of came up with the, uh, the idea of influencer just because I do see so many people wanting to be influencing. And, uh, and I, I just, they're, they're hard not to troll. Uh, it's, it's actually, um, people don't really know this, uh, but it's a little known fact, but it should, I, I mean, people should know. Uh, rain is not wet in Canada. So it's, it's one of the, they just don't need it. Okay, so the commonly misunderstood code issues. We're gonna list them off kind of quick, and then I'm a rapid fire. I'm gonna ask you to rapid fire, help explain the misconceptions. Sure. Hey, how's it going? It's the Hooked Better Leads podcast, and I have Mike Goldenstein on today. How are you doing, sir? Can we uh, do something about the turn here? Yeah, Jack, what did you, the placement of this fern is a little off. Okay, thank you. God, Jack. Oh, oh he's dumping it now. Jack, edit this out. Seriously. Oh my God. Is this a minimum wage, I hope? Yeah, he's, he's an intern. He's not making anything. Yeah. All right, we're talking about code compliance and 10 roofing codes that you may not know enough about. You suck at code and we're gonna help you. Yep. So Mike, could you give us a little bit of your background? Why code? How'd you get into code? Yeah, so I actually started in the roofing industry in 1992 and uh, not the sexy kind with the big tires and the fancy trucks and the big sales teams. I was mostly an installer for a majority of that 18 years. Had my own company for about 10 of those. Um, and then in, 1990, uh, in 2012, actually, that's when uh, code itself, so it's written by I ICC, every three years they come out with a new version. And uh, at that time I was a, a manufacturer rep. And uh, they had changed it so that the, the final seat to authority in determining what is code compliant and what's not ended up at the manufacturer's feet instead of the local code official. Back in my day when we were actually roofing and installing, I had to go to every city and find out what the codes were because every city could be different based on that mm. code official. And now they just said, now code was saying whatever the manufacturer says. Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning, we're also going to be talking about Mike's stint, his influencing he calls himself the influencer but it's really uh <laughs> it's because he wishes he was an influencer from what we understand doesn't everybody yeah. i mean that's what and he also his feet don't <laughs> hit the ground if we could pan to that jack um his feet do not hit the ground i'm a so. bit vertically challenged yes if you hadn't noticed so he's he's kind of said that um a little bit about his influencing online, but if you could explain what an influencer is real quick for our audience. Yeah, so I, I kind of came up with the, uh, the idea of influencer just because I do see so many people wanting to be influencing. And, uh, and I, I just, they're, they're hard not to troll, yeah. to be honest. And So you know, the number one uh, profession that kids want to be these days is YouTuber. Yeah. And essentially it kind of goes along with the influencing thing. So it's like all of, basically, but we all can't be influencers. It can't be everybody influencing everybody. Well, we I guess we can't kind of be, but I, I do think that the cream does kind of rise to the top, yeah. right? I mean, there's some people that genuinely, when I see them post something, I always stop because they, they, they're going to say something good that I enjoy. But you also stop when you want to cringe at something. Oh, man. There's a, there's a lot of... <laughs> there's some cringe You cannot... Because cringe... <laughs> so I am a master of cringe. It's honestly my influencing style. No, but... The reason cringe works so well for real, like I, for instance, we have a roofing client, Josh, 
Josh Swisher, North Face Construction. We're both, you uh, yeah. worked with That's them where you and I first met. Yes. Doing we, the we did a shingle con competition. Fastest yeah. shingling con uh, competition back in like, what, 2020 or something? Something like that. So, but anyways, they've gone viral several, several times, and a couple of them have been good. But some of them have been like because everyone wants to tell them they're like using the nail gun wrong or yeah. something. Yeah. So it's really easy to go viral or to have like these, like when there's a lot of hate in the comments for some reason. Yeah, but isn't that the whole point though? Because yeah. you can get two, three million views on it. Is it, <laughs> number one, you can't make it up, right? I mean, yeah. you try to go viral and you won't. Some of yeah. my best stuff, like I, I, do, I do basically my stuff because I, I want to entertain myself and yeah. some of the stuff I really think is funny. Like we did this one where um, I thought it'd be kind of funny. It was at a Atlas event. It was at Michigan stadium. We were kicking field goals. I'm like, that would be really funny mm -hmm. if Leanne Koppel would be Lucy and I would be Charlie Brown and she would pull the ball out and I'd go flying. I'm like, yeah. that's kind of funny. Right. I think it got like, you know, a good four or five views on yeah. it. And no, it, but tell the truth. You always say that he always says he gets two views, but it was like 200, 300 views. I don't know. <laughs> he won't, he won't say I, it. But I, I mean, you could look it up. It's on American Contractor yeah. Show. They put it together. And it was really, they even did it even better because they actually put they added. the, they added yeah. the actual Charlie Brown yeah. dialogue with between Lucy and, yeah. and Charlie Brown and then I go flying. It's like, so that's the stuff that entertains me and that's primarily why I do stuff. But again, it can go viral, but then does it actually even lead to a sale? You had yeah. one to go viral. Yeah, so we just hit 10 million views on uh, a video, and I am proud of that because I wanted to go viral. I'm, I wanted to go viral just to check it off my list and also to just just be real about what what is the value of that. So for me, somebody who services niche, like people like contractors, home services, roofing, um, for me to go viral, it doesn't really help me a ton because most of those people looking at added are not in the that situation and then also like i said like a lot of times it's negative stuff so there's a lot of negativity and that's part of why it went viral so it's like yeah it doesn't help us that much i always tell jack so jack's our video guy over here he's, he's actually awesome um his he has a meme that's in niche and that gets ten thousand views that's way more powerful to me and way more important than us going to 10 million views with something out of niche. Yeah, I would just, I would, I, as, as long as I would go bacterial, I'd be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Most of my stuff just goes moldy as an influencer, but um, if I could just do bacterial, but I mean, that's the whole point though. And I think we talked about those a little bit, you know, that, that space in between, and this is, I also like to troll our marketing department, right? Because yeah. the sales and marketing have a very different view about business and how you grow business. And, mm -hmm. and as a, primarily a salesperson, like, I, you know, I could throw stuff out and it'll go to a, you know, a thousand people or 1500 people, but is there actually, until I pick up the phone, call them, make a sale. Yeah. Like that's real results. Whereas just yeah. throwing stuff out. And again, that's just, that's my perception. Hey, of you got to love on marketing to <laughs> I do. Here's the deal. I've always been on the marketing side of that yeah. fight. I've usually been on the marketing fight side of that fight. I will get right back into code issues. So this is a, a diversion from our main purpose here, but I wanna, I wanna wrap it up with a few more things here. When we were doing events, events are like a really clear, like you either sell the tickets and people show up or yep. they don't. And we've had good ones and we've had bad ones over this last year. We've probably been a part of like 18 events or something like that. And the best ones have had a very sales driven component. Marketing, 
even could get you 80% of the way with 100 people. But unless somebody like reaches out to people directly, sometimes they don't buy the ticket. So there's a little bit of an element of you do need to have sales yeah. closed deals. Like, yeah. And it doesn't matter how ripe you make the audience with marketing, there has to be a deal closing component. Yeah, and there's such a synergy that starts happening yeah. after a while between sales and marketing because as the sales start growing, maybe you know, they're, they're setting those logs. And then over time, that's growing and then you're fueling it with more marketing. Yeah. Now, because at the end of the day, sales is never gonna have the reach that marketing yeah. has and marketing is probably never gonna have the close percentage as sales are. Mm -hmm. But together, and particularly over a, a few years, you can grow some really, really dynamic numbers and, and grow your business successfully. But there's so yeah. much tension that yeah. typically happens, even at the highest levels in these large corporations, there's such a, a, a tension between those two groups many times. Yeah, it's like when, when sales, I think you and I could really fight about this. When, sure. when sales takes too much credit is where marketing gets like, ah, fuck. Oh, man. Like, There's nobody on the planet that has bigger egos than marketing department. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> if we're talking about egos, we're talking marketing first, and then the salespeople are the ones that actually just get it done. Oh, wow. That, <laughs> I, you said we could talk about I really stuff. love that idea because I, I would love to... Like if you could visualize the salesperson's ego versus the marketing's just kind of walking around like oh my god, just like kind of timid, <laughs> just trying to show their giant creative muscles, <laughs> and then the sales guy comes in and is like, "I did that," and this completely mutilates a yeah. Photoshop, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it becomes a thing, right? Well, I'll be real, your <laughs> mutilated Photoshops are incredible. Okay, so let's get into code issues. This has been a good talk. I think we can both agree that marketing carries more weight that's no, just kidding. <laughs> hey thanks for watching this episode please like comment and subscribe it really helps other people see this content we're back every tuesday and friday with the podcast and we've got a ton of other videos thanks guys join the future of roofing at offers.rufl.com stand out save time earn more Okay, so the commonly misunderstood code issues. We're going to list them off kind of quick, and then I'm a rapid fire. I'm going to ask you to rapid fire help explain the misconceptions. Sure. So sure. just the 10 real quick. Decking thickness. Decking thickness. Wind speeds versus warranties. Requirements versus recommendations. Product compatibility. Four to six inch underlayment overlap rule two-layer repairs, damage to roofing assembly, valley damage, drip edge, and is last one is, is code enforced. And we have a number of questions. We have some other questions after that. But rapid fire, like in a minute or less for each of these, Yeah. what is the misconception with decking thickness? Okay, so basically it? when you're talking about ICC, which is the IRC governs basically 49 out of 50 states. I joke about this a little bit, but Wisconsin was a little bit different. I think there was a couple of guys at a bar stool uh, over a couple of brews that drew with crayon on a napkin <laughs> and came up with their codes. They're the only ones that I know that are, are really significantly different. But for everybody else, you're on a, either the IRC or a version of it. And uh, really, you're talking about one chapter, the 900s. That is the roofing assembly chapter. Now, I started actually changing recently because an equally important one to me was the administration code, which is chapter one. 
you got 13 chapters in code and really there's only two that matter to 95% of the codes that a roofer uh, engages so in. So you're saying if you studied these two, you'd know you're, everything you know. You're going to be, no, I wouldn't say that. But <laughs> I mean, there's kind of a lot of experience that comes with it. But um, the, the hard part, I think, but yes. I mean, seriously, yes. Yeah. Now there's a couple of things and de decking thickness is one of them because you have to jump outside of the 900s because the 900s is, literally says has to be a nailable substrate. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, okay, and that's it's it? really confusing because there's a little bit of rotting. Exactly. And then it's like, what is this? And that's why there's so much like So we don't say forth. rot because rot has a whole other okay. system of, of, you know, because you can't, that's not going to be damaged. Yeah. You can't put a date yeah. of loss to rotted decking so it's non-nailable. Yeah. You don't care why. The fact yeah. is you're tasked with repairing the assembly and you have a non-nailable surface. Now, this is where it kind of jumps between manufacturer-driven code, and I call it manufacturer-driven code and the IRC-driven code. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's both, and it's really fun. But decking is one of them that you have to actually jump over to 908.1 okay. to, or uh, um, sorry, 803.1, okay. which is outside of the 900 section, which confuses a lot of people because yeah. now you're no longer in there. But on 803, it talks about lumber decking. Hmm. With a little subnote underneath it that says if you're talking about CDX or OSB, you got to jump to 503.2.1.1, which is a whole different. Now people are all confused. So there's a common misconception out there. You see it on, on Facebook all the time. You're, I think people are getting wildly uh, confused about decking because uh, 803.1 says it's got to be 5 eighths. But that's lumber. That's not engineered. That's hmm. lumber. So if you've got decking deck boards, gotcha. that's what has to be 5 eighths. Ah. If it's CDX, plywood, or OSB, now you're in the 500 section, which also doesn't make any sense because that's actually the flooring section. You'd think if they wanted people to follow the shit, they'd make it clearer. Well. It is clear? You're st I'm, okay, but still, you're talking about 13 chapters. How many times? We do read, right? Most people read? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> right? So, yes, I can understand the confusion because you're being stretched a little bit. Yeah. But come on, guys. We make a very good living. I love this industry. I love the roofing industry because of there is a low barrier to entry into this. But I hate this industry because there is a low barrier entry and anybody can be a roofer at any time the and way not know you anything. Lower, low barrier to entry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, let's get into number two, wind speeds versus warranties. Why does this matter? What's the oh exception? This was really fascinating because even code officials messed this up. We actually have a, a, a teacher in Minnesota here that teaches people how to, tr they tr he trains them in their continued education and he doesn't even know. So he's saying that three tab shingles are no longer uh, code compliant because they come with a 60 mile an hour wind warranty. Well, wind warranties and wind ratings are completely different thing. Wind warranties come from the manufacturer. They say over the course of time, we are warranting these shingles to perform up to 60 mile an hour wind speeds. Whereas the wind speed rating is coming from a third party, ASTM, that determines whether or not they are compliant. You'd, you'd think that you'd just sit back and go, it's, a, it's ridiculous that a manufacturer would create and manufacture and spend millions of dollars making a product that's illegal to install. It shouldn't make any sense. And that's why I should say, guys, just relax a little bit. Use your common sense. They're not illegal coming out of the package. Wind speed warranties are different than wind speed ratings. Now, what I would like them to do, because actually when you look into code, it's class A, class H, class F, class G. There's different classes that are correlating with a letter.
but they also correlate with wind speed. They put a 120 miles per hour, 150 miles per hour, and then as soon as people say 120 miles per hour, and this is only warranted to 60, well, 60 isn't 120, so it can't be compliant. I get the confusion, but <laughs> come on. All shingles by every manufacturer, I haven't seen one that is not compliant. Mm. Everything is going to do at least 90 miles an hour, which would be compliant, but. Okay, I've got the third one, which is requirements versus recommendations. What do you mean by this? Why oh, is this man. a misconception? So this happens a lot when they're talking with code officials. Well, not with code officials. Sometimes with code officials, but actually it was a code official that really taught me this idea. Um, it really happens with adjusters that are calling them and say, yeah, but that's the recommendation from uh, the manufacturer. But if it, they require it, then it becomes code. But if you look mm. at code, code never says anything about required or recommends. It just says what's published or approved. So okay. it doesn't matter. To me, I don't care if the manufacturer requires it, suggests it, uh, recommends it, or says this is probably a pretty good idea. If it's, if it's in writing, if it's published or approved by that manufacturer, then it's considered code. Now, the difference That's is... That's a little weird though, right? Because a manufacturer can then essentially like... It's, it's almost like making an obligation for an insurance company um, because of their, or am I wrong? Well, so we're going to be able to get into a little bit of uniformity at this case yeah. because some of them are going to be judgment calls. Um, we're going to get to that one in, in one of the later ones. Okay. But um, at, at the end of the day, though, there are uh, options or alternatives, right? So if they're recommended this way, but you can also do it this way. Now you've got two different areas and you can go one way or another and you can, that's where your flexibility comes from. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's recommend, if it's in writing, if it's, uh, but here's the I other reason. I have a big question for you too after that. Like I, I got a random one for you. Okay. The other reason why it's really important though is because when, as soon as you start getting the requirements on a manufacturer's part, you have a lot of obligations with the warranties and, and those, can, those can put a sticky wicket. So really what we're trying to do is allow everybody to stay in their own sandbox. I, d I have this sandbox thing that mm -hmm. I bring out in all of my different trainings, and we want everybody to be able to stay in their sandbox. We don't want the manufacturer jumping into the code officials sandbox. We don't need the uh, adjusters jumping into the contractors and vice versa and all that kind of stuff. So. Why do Canadians think they don't need underlayment? And like, so I was told underlayment actually is the waterproof barrier. How is that just fine for them yeah, because there's, no. a, there's good manufacturers in Canada not doing this because it's not code yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's actually, um, people don't really know this, um, but it's a little known fact, but it should, I, I mean, people should know. Uh, rain is not wet in Canada. So it's it's one of the, they just don't need it. Um, I do have some things about code in, in Canada and, uh, and it's probably not what you think. I'm just so curious. They like, are well, so far ahead of the United States. Yeah. I swear to God. And you know, they, the, the underlayment thing is get. different. That is weird. Um, and I don't know exactly know why that is because um, for the most part, the roofing assembly as determined by the manufacturers are all going to call, call for it. But code doesn't. It is a weird thing and they don't do it. However, there are so many other things because of the harshness of the winters and stuff like that. They are so far ahead of understanding vapor barriers and retarders. Uh, as far as in the assembly of the home and the envelope mm. of the home, mm. Mo moisture migration in the United States is killing homes. Mm. And, and it's, I mean, we can go into this. I mean, it's really fantastic. I, I get nerdy. Briefly you, going, I, I apologize. Keep. I know <laughs> that we're going very fast, but you can turn YouTube down to like a point seven five speed if you really right. need to. But we're going fast because he has a, a plan to catch after this. I do, I do, but it's okay because I'm in the back of the plane, so I can be on the last person on the plane. I'll get my seat. 
Um, what's fantastic about building envelopes is a lot of it has to do with moisture migration. At the end of the day, what ends up happening is the longer your house is um, ventilated and continues to stay dry, and and uh, the lo longer it will last. Well, yeah. back in the 40s and 50s, these were, I mean, nobody had to worry about ventilation because the whole thing just bled, right? Yeah. I mean, it was air everywhere. But those 40s, now to keep up with code, now we're, we're requiring energy efficient uh, windows and house wrap and Tyvek and ice and water shield and all these synthetics that are coming on. And so you're creating a airtight barrier around a system that was created to breathe. Hmm. And so you're locking in all of this warm, moist air. And the warm, moist air is coming from your fake plants. <laughs> your, uh, any plants, every time you breathe, every shower, do, do dishes, every time you do anything inside of a home, you're releasing moisture into that. That has to go somewhere. And we're tightening up our homes so much without paying attention to uh, moisture migration. It's literally rotting our homes from the inside hmm. out, especially the older homes. Canada has figured that stuff out way. They're so far ahead of the United States in that. Realm. But still no underlayment. But still no underlayment. All right, number so they're four. a little bit weird. Four, uh, product compatibility. What's the misconception here? So product compatibility, this is where I wanted to call, talk about the uh, uniformity because it does come in because manufacturers come out with these do not mix, right? So um, they discontinue a product or they change it or they change the color a little bit and they go, do not mix. You can't you know, mix it. So I'm going to make some people a little bit mad on this stuff, I think. I don't take a uh, just a regular do not mix letter as code compliance right off the bat. Mm unless there are size differences. Now it's a compatibility issue yeah. because now one product is not compatible with another. I don't really care the aesthetics of it and I don't care, you know, there's some manufacturers that We can are tell that by your photoshops that you don't really care about the aesthetics. I don't care about any, in fact, the worse they look, the better, right? So. Well, I'll be real, I see a lot of uh, roofers complaining in Facebook groups about like, the manufacturer saying this is the same color and they're so wildly different. They're, they're like, wildly well, different. Well, yeah. if they, you know, if the weather, uh, the weather's probably going to mix those colors, it'll look the same yeah. eventually. It's like, yeah. no, that's far off. And also part of the reason I get that it's, you know, to keep water out, but the roof is a big aesthetic piece of the house. It is. And, and to me, that's a coverage issue more than a code issue. Okay. So if it really does, looks wildly different, you should have a good carrier that's going to yeah. back you up that says, listen, you sustain damage to your property. That's the other part of it that's always missed is the, the damage was sustained to the property and then to the roofing assembly. There's damage to the assembly. We should be able to have a company that's, that's good enough to do yeah. that. What, I, what we see in the industry a lot though is that you know, we take these carriers that have these stripped down policies that cover practically nothing and then we work and work and work and work and work as contractors to try to achieve the results that they would yeah. get from a real carrier or a good carrier. Yeah. And that's a whole game. That's good. Um, yeah. But the, the do not mix, but the, the, the one thing I wanted to say about compatibility, especially when it comes to shingles, is that um, there are size differences that started to appear. So you went from a five inch exposure to a five and five eighths. Now when you've, you've lengthened that, now nothing lines up. That's a true mm. compatibility issue. Gotcha. And you would find that in code that you would not be mixing that on, based on compatibility. The do not mixes, I'm a little bit more skeptical. <laughs> Top rep, we're doing top rep. It's great training. So you got to have that defined sales process, check Toki specifically. I don't understand how people make it with a defined sales process as an established company, but just starting out, you definitely need to have that because they need to know, like, and trust you through the whole process mm -hmm. to, in order to give you money.
How about the four to six inch underlayment overlap rule? What's the misconception? The misconception on that one is people, um, they want to be a, an easy button. I texted this to John Sanek one time. I was like, because somebody wanted, hey, do you have an easy button for this? I mean, we're just seeing this thing. Like, just, send me the, just send me the document that I can send to the insurance company that pays it. And, uh, and so I responded and I gave it, well, it's this, this, and this, and this. And, they, and the response I got back and I texted John, I'm like, so basically he said, okay, but do you have an easier than easy button? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. The four to six inch lap rule uh, does necessitate if, if a slope is being replaced, so you're tearing off the slope, but when you put it back together, you're not just lapping four to six inches over, it actually goes underneath shingles. So now you're removing shingles to get the underlayment to that adjacent or undamaged side. And now you got to put, because you can't reuse those shingles because of 908.5, which is the uh, reinstallation of aggregate surface materials. Now you're putting in all of your uh, new shingles and now you're right back to your do not mix because now you've got brand new shingles sitting right next to the old shingles. Mm. And now to me, it becomes a coverage issue. But the, the thing that is missed on that all the time, people are like, well, I told them about the four to six inch lap rule. Yeah, but what did you say about that? Like, did you actually make yeah. that case of what's actually happening mm -hmm. and why it's important? It's okay, I like that. Uh, Two-layer repairs, what's the misconception? Oh man, so two-layer repairs. It's funny because I, I've, I've quoted a couple of, of, of uh, codes and it's funny when you, when you read through code, it's very generic, it's very general. It really has no detail whatsoever, which is I think one of the reasons why they kept pushing that issue over to manufacturers because typically manufacturers have a lot written about all these certain things. Um, but when it comes to two-layer repairs, suddenly they care a whole lot. And they give you three bullet points. This stuff has to be there in order to do a cover-over. And these have to not be there in order to do a cover-over. And they really care deeply. And so one of those things is that second layer has to be a complete and... Um, uh, it has to be a complete and... Ah, I'm missing the, the words on it. Um, but it has to be a complete system. That second layer is a complete yeah. system. You're saying like, you're saying uh, they shingle over existing shingles? Yep. Yeah. Uh, which I would say is the, the best underlayment. No, it's shingles, actually the worst. Shingles, <laughs> no. a whole shingled roof is the best underlayment. No, because no. you're poking so. holes all over it. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'm just kidding. The, the, yeah, but there's, a lot of, there's a lot so of people. So they're saying that, like if there's any damage on that underlayer, Complete and separate system. That's what gotcha. it's called. Yes. Complete and separate. There we go. So now if you're in a, in a situation where you're being told to remove a section and just do a small repair, now you're pulling off a shingle. So you no longer have a double layer. Now what are you supposed to do? Like splice some stuff in. But when you put it back together, that's, that's still, that's not a complete and separate system. Mm. So really code cares deeply about coverovers. You have to do certain things. You can't do certain other things. So stop doing two layer repairs. I'm all for repairs, code compliant repairs. I cannot see a situation where you would be able to do a repair on a second layer. Another reason to just not do layovers, I guess. Certain, certain uh, parts of the country still do yeah. coverovers. Yeah. And most of the roofing community judges them every time. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so damage to roofing assembly. Yeah, we talked about that a little really quickly. You, it's kind of like, um, again, it's property insurance. That's what we're typically talking about when it's storm restoration. So if, you, if the property was damaged, then insurance is going to indemnify the homeowner for the damage that was being done. 
And this, likewise, when it comes to the roofing system, it's a roofing assembly according to code. That's why I always call it roofing assembly. The, the assembly is what's been damaged. Typically when I see uh, issues like, well, the insurance company isn't covering decking or isn't covering this. And it's typically because the contractor went too quickly to uh, covering the damaged shingles. Mm. Well, the shingles are damaged, so we got to repair the, the shingles. Well, no, the shingles are not damaged. The roofing assembly has been damaged. Now you have to repair the roofing assembly to, without violating code. Mm. And so when you understand what the roofing assembly is, which absolutely 100% includes the decking every time, so the decking mm. would be covered under minimum code compliance issues just as much as the nails, the underlayments, because none of that stuff was damaged by hail, but it's being covered, right? Because it's part of the assembly. The can decking I, is also part okay, of the assembly. Okay, I get it. And we're all eager to replace as much of it as we possibly can for, for various reasons, right? Like, I mean, but I, I have a question and it's going to go against a little bit about what I know roofers like, which is to replace all of it, please. Yeah. Which is, the, the question is, aren't we wasting a lot of shit though? You know what I mean? Like we're wasting shingles, we're wasting wood potentially. If it's not really, if it's a nailable surface is what I'm asking. Yeah. If it's a nailable surface and I'm not like a huge like green guy or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm probably like, you know, a regular millennial. I care a little bit, but I don't care that much. You know, <laughs> that's like, a great way to say that. Like I, I'm just curious if you have to discard that, if you had to discard it every time, wouldn't that be pretty wasteful? Yeah, I kind of, well, but here's the point though, um, and insurance companies understand this as much as anybody too, is that as, as expensive as roofs are, they're not nearly as expensive as the contents inside the house. So once it becomes a leak and becomes an issue inside the house, that's when it really skyrockets the cost of, of, of the so they're trying the to make sure system. that doesn't happen. Right, and here's the thing. Nobody really knows this, but yeah. guess who, if you if you were looking at the, who pays for the lobbyists to stricter building codes on a national and local level, who is by far, no even questions asked, is not even close, spends more money pushing for tighter codes. Insurance companies? Insurance well, companies. Why? That's so And odd. who fights them every step of the way? Contractors. Really? Yeah, yep. Yeah, it takes two seconds to Google this, but but why? Because typically, when the, when they're when they're doing this, when they're pushing for these codes, they're doing it basically on on the construction of the building, because that's where the liability for the carrier is the highest, right? We they need to have these structures be done done correctly and done in such a way that it limits the liability of the insurance carrier, because they're having to cover this, right? Um, and the contractors, every code that they and they bring up, and and some of them are kind of crazy what they want you to do increases the cost exponentially. And so contractors typically fight against it, and most of them are, are builders, uh, because nobody likes regulation, right? And so it's tighter and tighter regulations being pushed, yeah. you know, by the carriers because they want a safer building and one that limits their liability. Meanwhile, it's escalating costs of the contractor, so they don't want them. So, but it's, yeah. But then when it comes to a claim, that's when everything switches. Why are builders the worst at putting on roofs then? No. <laughs> that, that is a common like uh, reputation though that builders that do roofs. Yeah. Are, yeah. Well, they're typically subbing it out, yeah. and you know, and they just most don't people don't know how to manage those projects as well. Or no, something? well, no, because there's really no management to it. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Um, roofing is not rocket science. Yeah. Um, but you know, typically a general contractor, which is a, a builder can hire subs and subs that are just doing a, a, a single layer, you know, install 
make significantly less. So when you've got the cream of the crop guys that are making good money, they're doing the tear-off and the re-roof. And by the time you get down to the guys that are just installing a roof every day, it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't pay very well. So the, the work gotcha. that you get may or may not be the best. All right, let's do these last three kind of quick. We're at the 32-minute yeah. mark here. We got valley damage. What's the misconception? Yeah, valley damage. And, and again, this is open valleys. This is mostly what you see in the north because it sheds uh, snow and ice better. Um, but there are six code violations from pulling out that metal because here's the thing when it's metal It gives a perfect picture of what happened with this with the uh, storm that came through with the mm -hmm. Hail specifically and so you'll have a lot of carriers that'll say well just uh, pull out that Dented metal because there really wasn't much damage to the shingles pull out the metal put new metal in and we've we've paid it But there are code implications. There's six code violations that you would create from putting in the valleys and, and taking them out. I'll say, I'll end with that one because that one gets I in the like, weeds quite a bit. Do you have like something that you can give away for that? Cause we could maybe drop it in the comments. Uh, yeah, you could, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a combination of things. So this is, we, that we're sounds talking incredible to be honest. <laughs> it really is. But uh, like, this is what becoming a, uh, an expert in your craft. And really, I think one of the benefits of me spending 18 years as an installer, I understand how things go apart mm -hmm. and put back together in a roofing assembly. And you have to be able to identify, all right, literally what's going to happen. I'm going to have to take these shingles off. I'm pulling the metal out. Now I got underlayments going back in along with metal and then shingles. That can't be right. That's not the only yeah. way. You're missing, you know, three, four steps to the system, not to mention the compatibility materials and all that kind of stuff. So, Do you think yeah, that's part of the reason that, you know, some people get very frustrated with the carriers and stay frustrated is because they don't know enough about the real work that goes into putting on a roof. And so they're, they're kind of just, it's paper contractor problems. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. You're going to expose me for a little bit. I'm going to get some hate mail for this one too. Okay. I think the, uh, the reason why contractors, there's so much friction between carriers and contractors is because the contractors don't really know what they're talking about. And even when I'm insisting that they go to the code official and say, present this stuff and try to pull a permit, but not, not pull a permit to get it denied. Say, I need a variance for this code item, this code item, this code item. That's a great way to interact with the code official because code official, that allows him to stay in his sandbox. Contractor stays in theirs. Adjuster stays in theirs. You're asking for a variance that can't happen. The problem is, I do think most contractors are not, don't understand code well enough to go up and present that to a code official. And I'm actually saying they might not understand the roof assembly. 100%, that's what I'm saying too. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll be able to take a do not mix letter and take it and try to beat the adjuster over the head with it and say, you owe for it because this is a compatibility issue and they start throwing these cliff notes. So they, they have a cliff notes version of code that they've seen on social media they think makes sense. And it might to an adjuster, <laughs> to, yeah, that's but try to take that to a code official. Yeah. Now you actually have to understand it. Yeah. Right. And that's where, um, you know, we, we talk about if John Cenek and I really kind of, that's how we met. We yeah. were talking about code issues like this. And then when he was in Minnesota, um, Tim Johnson and I, and, and, and him did this class together and he has implemented so much code into his classes now because you have to understand this stuff. You can't just be throwing stuff out, hoping it sticks to a wall. I mean, yeah, it might help with a, or might work with an adjuster every once in a while. But picture yourself going to a code official and, and saying, 
hey, this is how it's done and have him either laugh at you. I mean, that's the fear, right? They're going to laugh at you because you don't really understand how it works. We've got two left and we're going to go quick. All right, really Excuse quick. Excuse me, Drip Edge, what's the misconception? Uh, drip Edge, I will make this quick. Some states eliminate Drip Edge as a requirement. So it is actually in the IRC and the unamended version of it. It is in there. It is required. Um, in I would, I would say probably a third of the states, it's not required at all. Um, and it's difficult to put it in as a requirement from uh, manufacturers because they typically give you alternatives. So I, drip edge is one of the hard ones. If you're trying to get paid uh, by using code arguments, it's, it's a tougher one. Is code enforced? That's a 100, 100 level, um, 100 chapter, right? So that when you're talking about the administration of code, there's a lot of really rich information. That's where I got the, you know, asking for a variance on code compliance issues. You have to know your 100 section as much as you know your 900 section. It is absolutely enforced with or without a permit. Um, if the state adopts it, it is enforced no matter where you're at. And uh, what are you inviting people to do after this since you, you have a Facebook group, right? I do have a Facebook group. It's called What's That Roofing Code? Question mark. And you're welcome to join that. And uh, we have discussions like this every day. Uh, we have people coming in asking questions um, and we invite them to do so. So there's a lot of roofing groups, but like there's a little bit of like, if it's not for that purpose, you might get people that don't know what the F they're talking about right. in some of these other groups. Yeah. So you have, you know, people like yourself admitting this group that wants you to get the right answer. Yeah. So join what's that roofing code now. Yep. There will be a link in the comments. And if you um, and if you go in there, if you've been in the business for 30 years, I think you'll learn something. And if you're brand new to the industry, I think you'll learn something. And, and be, feel free to ask dumb questions because we will not make you feel stupid. We want to get the information out. We want people to understand and know how to, to have these uh, conversations with code officials, with their homeowners, and with the adjusters. And I think it's kind of bold of Rufel. So the, he's part of Rufel. Roof Quote Pro is a tool that allows you to get quotes on your website. And it's bold of them to hire somebody like yourself with this much information. What are they trying to do over there? Why, oh, why do man. they need a guy like you? Well, I mean, again, it's, it's, it is part of the future. And we're watching an, another evolution in the industry. Um, and it's led by technology, but it's also going to be addressing the friction points at carriers and, and, um, and contractors. I think you're going to see uh, companies like ours that are coming in to help with that friction point. We're going to be evolving and, and uh, transforming the industry for sure. And just little things that they've upgraded recently, like they have suggested slope now, which suggested all these little slope, things, yep. like it's nice to have a guy like you around to help work through some of these other things. Like, and I know that you can also message Mike Goldenstein on Facebook to get a demo um, or just go to roofful.com. And then things like they have Rep Quote Pro now, which yep. you can give it out to your different reps and they have their own link and their own analytics dashboard yep. so they can see where people are, are checking out their tool. Yeah, because ours is just a great tool. It's a great technology, but it, it's just great technology. We need somebody like Hook Agency to come in and actually plug it in and get uh, traffic streaming through your website to get an instant estimate through your website. But at the same time, if you don't have great traffic through your website, you can still put it on your phone or, or iPads of your uh, canvassers or your salespeople and they can do them instantly on uh, going door to door. And some people might be scared of this. There's a little bit of like, oh, this could replace a sales rep one day or something like that. But we're not at that point yet, guys. We're at that point where we're making it easier for people to see what an idea of their roof might cost. Yep. And, and it's good for your reps. It's good for your reps not to... I heard Martin on the podcast with you and Martin, which was really good, by the way. Go check that out. Um, 
Martin Pettigrew from uh, Monarch Roofing, which is an overlapping client of Roofful and Hook Agency. And he was essentially saying people like are more likely to like their Google leads because they're a little bit more qualified. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's a really good way to put this is like to qualify your leads a little bit more. This tool could really help you decrease the amount of tire kickers and things like that. Yeah, people are scared to put a price online. They really are, mm -hmm. and I, I understand why, but it is fear itself that you're scared of because once you start doing it, your salespeople are gonna love it. They're, the, the leads are so qualified. Um, they're already price conditioned. They're gonna be the easiest leads that they're, they're running with. And there is such a trust that's built between you and your consumer, you're gonna be 10 steps ahead of your competition because you've already gotten past that part of it. So um, check it out. Don't be afraid to, uh, to to put it on just for fear itself. Check for yourself and look yeah. at the analytics on it. <clears throat> and if you, you know, if you're promoting the heck out of this thing, you're gonna have a better result. So obviously check out Hook Agency if you need more uh, flow. And the podcast is put on by hookagency.com, Hook Agency all over social. And we really appreciate you uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel, subscribing on uh, podcasts. What is it? What is the iTunes podcast thing? Apple Podcasts. And you guys have a good one. Bye-bye.